Please be seated. If you would turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4, it's found on page 880. And I'll be uh, reading that in just a minute. Remember when my kids were little, not more than babies, they used to love it when I'd ask them, how big are you? Remember playing that with the kids? And, and what was the response? So big, right? Yeah. Why do they do that? Make themselves seem bigger than they really are, right? At least in their minds. I mean, we all, we all want that. Lauren, you can put your hands down now. It's okay. In some ways, I don't think we ever stop playing this game. Even as adults, we're, we're tempted to want to appear bigger than we really are. But often that leads to trouble, and it definitely affects our relationship with the Lord. According to the Bible, the root problem at the core of each of our lives is the, the sin of pride. Now, I know that's nothing new for us. We, we've talked about pride before. This is really a problem that first surfaced in the Garden of Eden. The problem with pride, it, it robs us not only of, of close relationships that we have with others, but it affects our relationship with God. Our sin comes between us and God and affects that relationship. Today I'm afraid that many are unaware of the problem that they have with pride. Maybe some of you this morning are thinking to yourself, ah, that's not something I, I struggle with. But it's amazing how pride creeps into our lives. C.S. Lewis once wrote, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that you're proud. Something we all struggle with. None of us are, are free of it. Let me throw out a definition of pride that we can use. Pride is, is simply our refusal to acknowledge God as we should. Refusing to acknowledge God as we should. And acknowledging all that all that he does for us. See, it's not our abilities. It's not our achievements. It's not our possessions. It's not about us that makes us who we are in God's eyes. It's not because we're so great. It's because God has placed his hand on us and called us to be his children, to follow him. Truly, we serve a God of love, of grace, who is sovereign over all, in control of all. All things are in his hands. And we can claim none for ourselves. God has declared himself in Scripture as the active antagonist of the proud. God is adamantly opposed to those who are self-sufficient who say that they don't need him. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives, gives grace to the humble. In Daniel 4, we find an incredible story about the extent to which God will go to humble somebody that he loves. 
And Nebuchadnezzar was somebody that he loved. And, and he loves each of us. And, and so he humbles us because he knows what pride will do to us if it's left to just grow and start producing. We need to humble ourselves before God. Now I want to point out something about Daniel 4 before we read it. The first three verses um, are actually the end of the story. It's something that that, um, King Nebuchadnezzar wrote um, later on. And as he reflected about his experience, what he had gone through. And, and, and so you just kind of have to keep that in mind. And we're, we're going to look at those first three verses a, a little bit later, even though we didn't, didn't read them. But clearly the person who wrote those words is not the same person described in this story. Something dramatic has happened to him. And even when you look at Nebuchadnezzar before this, in, in, in the chapters before chapter 4, and again, it's not the same person. Clearly, there's been a transformation in the king's life, and, and we're going to look at that this morning. And so, if you would turn to uh, verse, uh, well, let's start at verse 18 of, of Daniel 4. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the in- Interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the inter- interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Just notice the way the king talks. The spirit of the holy gods is with you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, May the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven." And your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be the beasts of the, be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be uh, confirmed for you from from the time that you know From that time that you know the heavens rules. Therefore, King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. 
And the king answered and said, Is not this the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still on the king, in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to all whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. At the height of his glory, Nebuchadnezzar was king over the greatest empire that the world had ever known. If there had been a Fortune 500 list back then, he would have been number one. He was that rich. He just needed to speak and it was done. He commanded a mighty army, a mighty army, and again, they give their lives to him, for him. The city of Babylon was famous for its hanging gardens. Historians say it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. The city itself was pr- protected by 15 miles of double walls, 85 feet tall and some 27 feet thick. Apparently two chariots could race around the city walls at the same time. His palace was only a mere 630,000 square feet. 630,000 square feet. The king felt he had every reason to feel secure, to feel safe, to feel satisfied. Who in all the earth could challenge him? If you could have interviewed both Daniel and I think our, our our, our king, I, I think you would notice something right away in, in, in the way they reply. First listen to Daniel after he finally was able to interpret the king's uh, dream in one of the earlier chapters. Do you remember what he said afterwards? It's chapter 2, verse 23. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. He doesn't take any of the glory for himself, any of the credit, but he gives it all to God. What about Nebuchadnezzar? Verse 30. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Here's boasting there. Built by my power for my glory. 
instead of giving the glory that God rightfully deserved, which Daniel had warned him about, he gives it to himself and receives God's, God's hand of, of punishment. But again, it's also a hand of love because the goal of discipline is to restore, right? And that's what God's going to do in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But seven years it took. So if you feel like God's picking on you because he didn't let you have your way or something didn't go the way you wanted or he stopped you in your tracks, and think about it, for seven years, being like King Nebuchadnezzar in order to humble himself so that he would acknowledge the Lord once again. You know, this is really the sin of Eden. It was this sin that caused Adam and Eve to abandon their childlike dependence on God in favor of God-like dependence on themselves. We want the glory that belongs to God. We want the applause. We want to be recognized for who we are, for what we've done, for what we've accomplished. But we can't give in to this. Because when we do, there's a price to be paid. God takes us into the wilderness so that we might learn humility. Again, he does this out of his love for us, but still, it's not an easy thing to go through. It's not a pleasant thing to go through. But we have to keep in mind at times like this, though, that God is motivated by his grace and his mercy. And he wants to restore us. John Piper writes, God bends our stiff necks and pushes our faces to the ground because that's where the streams of life are flowing. In our pride, we can see the stream of living water. We can't see the stream of living water, so God in his grace, he humbles us and helps us see things from a new perspective. We can't see that living water as it flows, and so he's got to humble us so we can get a a good look at it, so that we can remember that God alone is the living water. He's the only one that can satisfy us. Verse 31 says, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? Sleeping in the tall grass every day? Being out of your mind, your, your, your fingernails being like claws, your hair all over, just a sight. What must have the people thought? It doesn't tell us, but did the palace try to keep it a secret? Did the townspeople see the king running around out in the, in the fields? You can only wonder. For Nebuchadnezzar, this was not just the wilderness of humility, but it was the wilderness of humiliation. He fell a long ways from the courtroom of Babylon to everyone obeying his every command to suddenly be running around out in those fields not sure who you are. Listen to this commentary again about our great and mighty king. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven and his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. But finally... He acknowledged the Lord. He acknowledged El Elyon, our our passage actually says. God most high. 
And then we see the change that comes over Nebuchadnezzar. It's like Isaiah 2.11 puts it. The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The Lord's not messing when it comes to pride. He brings, he, he humbles the pride, the proud, and, and, and he makes them humble. He does that for each of us. He does that for pastors. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord because only then can he use us. But after that day that he finally acknowledged the Lord in a moment of, of clarity, of thought that he had, the words that he speaks are profound. Verse 34, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Can you imagine King Nebuchadnezzar saying this just a chapter before this? All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the power of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? I praise and extol and honor king of, the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. Finally, King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges who's sitting on the throne. And he realized it wasn't him. This is what the valley of humiliation is for. It enabled Nebuchadnezzar to sing a song of praise, um, acknowledging the greatness of God, acknowledging his sovereignty, acknowledging his love. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar never saw the ruling of his kingdom the same way ever again. I said at the very beginning that those opening three verses, um, that actually comes at the very end. It's kind of a, it describes where the king is now. And, And listen to those words. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in the world, May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Boy, wouldn't it be great if our elected leaders said something like this? Wouldn't it be great if each of us could say this and really mean it? It's clear who the king is now depending on. What about you? What about me? Sadly, Babylon eventually became a symbol in the Bible for all that stands opposed to the kingdom of God. Babylon, like the Tower of Babel, it represents man's challenge of God's rule, of man's challenge of God's sovereignty. Listen to Revelation 14.8. The angel proclaims, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. In the last days, which the Bible says is now, we're going to be either living under the shadow of Babylon, or we're going to live in the shadow of Jerusalem, where Christ is the king. One city is all about the love of self. And one city is all about the love of God. One city focuses on us. One city focuses on Jesus. Each day, whether you know it or not, we proclaim what city we're living for, who we're trusting in, who's important to us. 
Whether you pray or don't pray, whether you have devotions or don't have devotions, whether you go to church or not, who you hang out with, it says a lot about who you're trusting in. What you're living for. Is it the kingdom of men? Or is it for the kingdom of God? Look at your life. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Is it the fruit of the flesh? Or is it the fruit of the spirit? Which point people's eyes to the living God. One kingdom proclaims your self-sufficiency and the other proclaims Christ. You know, there's no better example of humility than looking at Jesus. In Philippians 2, Jesus is held before us as a, the ultimate example of humility and, and someone who trusts in God. Paul tells us that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. God the Father responded to his son's humility by exalting Jesus above all things, placing him on the right-hand side of his throne and giving him all power and authority. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The most broken and humble person that ever lived is now the most exalted one. And this is what James says to us in James 4. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so that God might lift you up. See, only God can raise us. We can't raise ourselves. And you wouldn't want to do it yourself because God, his ways are so much higher and better than ours. Nebuchadnezzar's song at the end of, of the chapter, it proclaims what he's now trusting in. I pray that this might be true for each of us as well, that this might be our song, that we might be able to acknowledge this from our hearts. But it may it be more than just something we say or sing, but it's got to be something we live, that we live out each and every day. And the only way we're going to do that is by humbling ourselves before the great king and asking God to glorify himself through us. This is something we have to teach our children. This is something, as parents, we've got to give evidence of. As grandparents, as aunt and uncles, we've got to bear evidence to this. That we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because our God is mighty. May the world know it as the secret to our success. Isn't that funny to even say that? Humility, that's a secret to our success. Humbling ourselves before God just as Jesus did. And we're willing to do that. God will lift us up. We have that promise in his word. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, humble our hearts, Lord. Humble us, Lord as you alone can. Father, we know that it's not always easy. Lord, pride can so easily creep into our lives and we don't even see it until 
One day we look at ourselves and we're not pleased with what we see. We've become proud. We ask that you might forgive us. Give us a new heart, Lord. We pray that this lesson that King Nebuchadnezzar learned, we pray that we might learn this as well. And and may we learn it quickly, Lord, so that we don't have to spend much time out in the wilderness. But truly, Lord, we pray that our lives will point to you in every way. May we be as Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. To God be the glory. Let's.